0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, friends! Welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. Rare Disease Day is coming up on the last day of February 2021. I cannot wait to feel the buzz from all across the world as people rally to show their stripes and help raise awareness for those impacted by rare disease. If you're in my neck of the woods over here in Seattle, we have some really exciting stuff happening as well. Thanks for the hours of work from my pal Jill and her family. You met her in episode 24 and several of my in-laws. There are over 15 local businesses that will be handing out zebra masks to customers with a little Rare Disease Day information. Jill and I wanted to get our community involved and meet some of the kiddos, like our kids, that live in their town. The response has been insane, and I'll go into more detail about it on the next episode coming out on Tuesday. Just some really exciting news. Today's guest—he's so awesome. He is one serious advocate. He's living with an adult onset rare disease, and he's the CEO and founder of Cure VCP. He's highly motivated, and he's living with urgency through Cure VCP disease. Him and his wife Allison are committed to bringing together patients, caregivers, researchers, pharmaceutical companies, and other nonprofits to identify treatments and ultimately cure. This rare disease and the genetic diseases associated with this gene. Fighting this disease every day gives every aspect of leading the organization more purpose and meaning. I also found out we share a deep affection for Chick-fil-A, and now I cannot go through that drive-through without thinking of my pal. Please enjoy my conversation with Nathan Peck. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to the show.
1: Effie, how you doing?
0: I'm um, doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Nathan, can you give us some background on your family and the rare disease that has followed several of you and brought you into this community?
1: Sure. You know, Nathan Peck and I'm the CEO of Cure VCP disease, and I'm a father to three boys. And my wife Allison, we've been married 20 years this year. My mom actually had this disease, which we we're calling now VCP disease, the valosin-containing protein, and her Older brother had it, her sister had it, and another brother. So four out of the six siblings, because the disease is autosomal dominant, uh, it's 50-50. And her mom was a carrier of the VCP gene mutation, but died in a car accident when my mom was about 21. So nobody ever really saw the disease manifest until really my mom and my older uncle um, were the first that started manifesting symptoms, and about the time I left for college, my mom was having trouble reaching things in the cabinet. Uh, was just getting weaker, you know, physically all over, and and so really by the time of our wedding, my my wife and I's wedding, which was immediately after I graduated, you know, my mom couldn't even could barely walk. I mean, she needed a, a walker. So you know, over the span of five years, it was you know, pretty drastic. And the last ten years of my mom's life, you know, I I remember distinctly, two thousand one, it was a week after September eleventh, you know, she had a fall with her walker. And we had been begging her to get lifeline, the help I've fallen, I can't get up thing. You know, and this is before you could talk to your cell phones. And and so she fell and was pinned for like five hours in an uncomfortable position. And my dad, you know, when he came home from work, that's the last day she walked. And so You know, she couldn't feed herself, couldn't bathe herself, you know, really couldn't even drive her wheelchair because her thumb was so weak. So, you know, the disease is, it's tough. I mean, it, it's its a lot like ALS, but just over a much longer time horizon, you know, but there's other distinct phenotypes that occur too. A patient can get frontal temporal dementia. Some actually do develop ALS. And my mom, she had the Paget disease of bone as well as the the muscle myopathy. So lots of different disparate phenotypes that, and, and that's what's interesting about the different families, you know, that were... Identifying and bringing into the fold, you know, for the VCP is everybody, even within the same family, has very different symptoms within the the different phenotype diseases.
0: Yeah. I was reading about it and it's actually kind of complicated. It's, there's a lot of different rare diseases that you're actually helping open eyes to by just looking at this one.
1: Right. You know, the frontal temporal dementia is. The big one right now. There's a lot of interest, and in, in 60 Minutes back in May of 19 had a an awesome story about FTD, and I was so embarrassed because I didn't even. It wasn't until I watched that episode that I understood what FTD was. I didn't even have an understanding for it. So it's not a memory, you know, dementia, which a lot of times it gets diagnosed as Alzheimer's, but it's actually you just kind of get. Crazy, you know, and you can't talk and it is fatal. We partner with the AFTD, the Association for Frontal Temporal Dementia, and, you know, just trying to work together because some of the families that have come to us, you know, they finally got genetically tested and VCP. Appeared, and we have one particular family that FTD is the only symptom they display, which is interesting. So that's what makes it very hard to diagnose. Is you might have one family member with one disease and one family member with another disease, and their doctors aren't talking to each other, and they actually have the same genetic mutation.
0: Yeah, interesting. I'm gonna go back to your mom. Real quick. First, my deepest sympathies that your family went through this and you watched your mom go through that. But I was wondering, obviously, there wasn't genetic testing that was affordable in any way, or even accessible for your mom or anyone in 2001, when did you find out that this was the genetic mutation that was affecting your family?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you asked that because we just started working with All Stripes on medical records. And so we went back, we can actually go and and put deceased patients' records into into All Stripes. And so my dad was going through all my mom's medical records and we found a letter from, oh man, I think it was 2001 or, or 2002 that from a, a research study. So my family was researched because some of the siblings, we knew there was a black curse within the family. And so she was originally diagnosed with, um, oh shoot, I can't think of the name of it, but it was a, a muscular dystrophy, which today that would have never occurred. And then, you know, it was limb girdle muscular dystrophy, but it wasn't until 2003 that she was actually, and we have the letter, we found the letter where she was diagnosed with a valacin containing protein mutation. And actually, I don't even, the letter didn't say VCP in it. It just said inclusion body myopathy associated with early onset Paget disease of bone and frontal temporal dementia. And actually the frontal temporal dementia wasn't even in in the letter. So yeah, so she was diagnosed probably right before my oldest was born with, you know, that mutation. And, you know, it's interesting. I was actually talking to, you know, somebody today that's thinking about getting genetically tested. And, you know, we all have that family member that, knows about the disease, that wants to talk about it. And all of us, none of us wanted to talk about it. We just weren't interested in it. We just wanted to move on with our life and just kind of do things. And then, you know, the the script was kind of flipped. Once I was diagnosed, then I became interested in it and I didn't understand. I thought it was just a muscular dystrophy. That's what we told people. It was just a muscular dystrophy, but it's, it's not. I mean, it's kind of a hybrid between ALS and a muscular dystrophy. And, and really, the muscle piece is just one component of the disease that a lot of patients, you know, some patients might not get.
0: Did you think at that time when you were younger, before 2015, when you were diagnosed, that this was something that was potentially going to affect you? Or did you, was it just kind of placed a little far off? And
1: No, ab- absolutely. There's always been a clock in my head. Yeah, you know, Again, the, the black curse of the family, and, and I didn't really know what it meant. But I knew I had a chance of getting it, you know, in this autosomal dominant term. I didn't even know what that was until about two years ago, but we knew it was 50-50. And so I've always been ambitious, Um, you know, I've tried to be a high achiever and um, wanted to be successful in my career, but I always had this clock in my head and my goal was to make my millions or whatever so I could help with the disease, you know, even if I didn't get it, that didn't come You know, I'm able to help with the disease, but I didn't get the millions, unfortunately. But I did in terms of job decisions, kind of moving forward, moving my family. My oldest son lived in six different states uh, by the time he was nine because I moved around. I just didn't pass up opportunities because you know, going to MIT for grad school. You know, we had two young children. uh, Actually, my middle son was just born. He was 10 weeks old and we sold the house. I quit a six-figure job and, you know, we went to Cambridge, Massachusetts because I didn't want to miss out. My parents always had a dream of traveling internationally and my mom had grown up internationally. She was a military brat and they never got to realize that because she got the disease and it was just very difficult to travel. And, you know, so that, I, I guess subconsciously, I saw that and knew that I wanted to, to make the most of my opportunities while I still had it. And I'm glad because now I kind of live life, no regrets. And there are no regrets there's I've done most of the things I'd like to do. So I feel at peace about that.
0: That's awesome. Not a lot of people can say that ever. It seems like you've been hustling (laughs) your entire life, which is pretty remarkable for something that could be crippling to someone. Really? It's a, Devastating diagnosis, especially when you have a wife and three sons.
1: Well, I mean, we saw my my mom had the. I don't know how she had such a positive attitude. I mean, she was just so excited and happy about life, you know. And I don't, I don't know that I'll be the same way, you know. I mean, she just, you know, she loved her grandsons, and she was my sports buddy. I mean, we just always talked sports, and so yeah, I mean, she had a zest for life. She didn't have much of an interest in the disease, you know, which is kind of important you know we need every patient engaged and involved I moved a lot as a kid. And so, you know, family was really important because we had to stick together and we were always the new people in town. You know, Actually, where I live now, this is the longest I've lived anywhere in my life, um, seven years, you know, but before that, it was three years, three, four years in, in any one spot. So, you know, I think change and being resilient and having to get out there and hustle, like you said, that's just always been a part. It's just kind of ingrained in me.
0: <laughs> well, it's definitely... Something that is probably coming in super handy for the networking opportunities that you have and the relationship building that you have to do now with the organization that you've created. So pretty good thing to have in your back pocket.
1: Absolutely. I find it kind of therapeutic talking to people in the rare disease space that you're not alone. We all have our different challenges. We are competing against each other in one way or another, but we're all there for each other and we're happy to help.
0: Tell us a little bit about the organization that you started just in the last couple of years, and was there not anything like this that was available for your community?
1: My oldest uncle, he, you know, he had a website that he had created, you know, more about what he was learning about himself and it was more kind of a, just a resource for people to go to. The, the challenge was, it was an N of one. We know there are other families, especially if you find the families, you'll find the disease. When I was diagnosed, I went to, we have one researcher that, you know, she actually discovered the gene mutation. She's known within the field for this disease. But, you know, one of my concerns was what happens when she's gone? So the, kind of the succession planning, you know, does all the data disappear with her at, you know the, the university how would anybody else be able to use it you know i'm an engineer so throughout you know my work it's always been about building modular sustainable processes that anybody can jump in and take over you know it doesn't it's not all dependent upon nathan that was kind of the impetus for creating cure VCP disease. There was no organization representing the patients. Doctors had their own set of patients, but there was nothing in aggregate. I didn't know what a natural history study was. I didn't even know what a patient registry was, you know, when we started it, but we had a dear friend that she has two children with a rare disease and she highly she's like, Nathan, you have to start a patient advocacy organization. I'm like, ah no, nah, I'm still working, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think the patient registry piece, once I learned what that was, it's like, ah, you know, that is something that will live forever until we make this disease extinct, you know, and it's probably the most important thing we can do. And that was definitely validated, you know, once we got started.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, congratulations. It's really exciting to see where it's all gone in just the short time. And it's a real testament to the people like you who are behind these organizations and how much work it takes to really get it up off the ground and get people motivated to participate in stuff like this. It's not easy.
1: No, no. It's, you know, it's fun. And I mean, it's always fun to create something and build something. And especially when it's doing well, see that it's instilling confidence in others. And especially when you talk, to scientists that get excited about it that's always validating but it's a lot of work too and and you know I've been blessed you know I went on long term disability 2 years ago and so I'm a volunteer for cure vcp disease but by gosh I, it's it's a full time I need to go back to work um, <laughs> it, it's it's a full time gig and and I have another company that I had purchased or you know to be able to operate from home and I would have never bought that company had I known what cure vcp disease was going to turn into because it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So
0: that's a lot to carry. How do you focus both on finding treatments and setting up this organization and working at this organization while also focusing on making memories with your three boys and your wife?
1: COVID's made it easier. I mean, you can just be at home all the time. But uh when I was first diagnosed, I mean we really didn't talk about it, but kids are smart. I mean, they they figure it out. And I think that's one of the challenges of being an advocate and especially a vocal and involved advocate is they hear everything. One of our boys made a comment one time that well, when I get the disease, and it's like, no, 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 hey, hey, buddy, you know, you're not. This is why we're working on this. So you don't have to worry about this ever. My mindset is I'm not worried about treatments or therapeutics for myself you know it's just a long shot you know there's a so much work that needs to be done so I'm focused on them you know it's important because this is I mean you look at Duchenne's muscular dystrophy I mean it's taken 30 years to, to get to some therapeutics and SMA and a lot of brave children and patients that paved the way Unfortunately, it's what's going to take, for, you know, so if my mindset has to be, I'm not worried about myself trying to save myself. This is all about the next generation, because maybe if somebody had done this work 30, 40 years ago for us, there might be, we might be further along. But at the same time, the science has evolved and developed so much the technology that what we're discovering now is probably only relevant to, you know, what's taken place scientifically in the past five years, CRISPR and, and the rest.
0: Spoken like a true dadvocate (laughs) and yeah, timing and science. And then, you know, just being there and being motivated to achieve this for the next family and the next kid is just, it's really selfless and it's, it's remarkable.
1: Yeah, I think that's where the engineering piece helps is. You don't ever get to the end solution in one try or two tries. I mean, you do have to try, fail, reiterate, try again. I don't know that we've really failed with anything, but it's just all about building that institutional knowledge. You have to have an understanding of what's even happening. And that's where when you you just always heard this word, natural history study, natural history study, I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then, oh, well it's understanding the rate of degradation you know covid has not been great for me uh, you know, i'm not i'm less active you know i need to be active doing stuff that that kind of keeps me going and you know so prior to covid the rate of degradation is a little more accelerated than you know than it normally would be but you can't get to an end the end goal without having data first
0: i think i guess you you really learn more about this if you are active as a participant, as a mom like me, or as a patient like you to really join in these like webinar series or follow the right people on LinkedIn to actually gain the understanding of why it's important and what it actually is. Because even, you know, a couple years ago when I heard the term natural history study and patient registry, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I know I got to do that. I got to put that on my tab. But then when I really learned about what it was and what a difference it was going to make for the rare disease that my son's living with, how can you not?
1: Yeah. I've had to check myself a couple times because I don't understand why people wouldn't get involved, but everybody's kind of dealing with their own challenges and it's kind of on their own time. And we found that patient I talked to two years ago, they're finally just now participating.
0: Have you connected with other parents who are living with a rare disease and have have those relationships sort of enhanced the journey for you or really helped you along?
1: Well, I mean, certainly through the, the rare disease organizations, yeah. I mean, y'all are a force to uh, be reckoned with and really the drivers. You know, I think in the adult onset space, the challenges are a little bit different, but we certainly have a lot of common challenges. And so, no, I, I've met plenty of the superstars and it's awesome to sit and just learn. I, I remember going to a, the World Drug Orphan Congress in D.C. back in um, April of 2019, and I didn't know what I was getting into, and you know, just sitting in some of these sessions, it's like, what am I doing here? I, I don't even understand what they're saying. And but then I run into, I don't know if I can name names, but you know, I run into some of these patient advocates, and they just kind of take me into under the hey, forget going to these sessions. Let's go to the bar in the hotel and just sit there. And it's like, all right, cool. You know, I'm just like. Along. I don't know who these people are, but, you know, then you see the names, that, you know, later. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's cool. And, and now they know who I am and, and everybody's just willing to come together and share. I mean, it's just, just so awesome. I mean, you really are part of a family. There's no prescription for this. I mean, everybody has to kind of create their own path, but listening to others is so important.
0: That's so awesome. Would you say that this is probably the biggest takeaway that you would like the young, small advocacy groups to kind of grab a hold of and forge ahead with is to start one of these?
1: Yes. I mean, strategically, you know, everybody's all strategy. You know, you got to look at your strategic plan. And I remember sitting back like strategic plan. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand what these people are talking about. But I think listening and putting yourself out there, getting yourself uncomfortable. When I graduated from grad school, I vowed that was the last time I'd ever sit through a classroom or a training or or anything. And no, I mean it's important to sit through a lot of these sessions and listen, but boy, it, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do, but it's gleaning that nugget. I mean, it's just getting that one little nugget that's so valuable and so important. It's putting yourself out there and meeting those people that can help you that that may be able to point you to somebody else. That's, that's really good
0: advice to be thoughtful and be strategic and to actually sit in that boring class and learn from, learn from the groups like yours, who've really gone through the motions, made the connections and learned next steps.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I wanted to know if there's something that your children can learn from knowing you during this particular time in your life, what would it be?
1: I'm not a quitter. I don't think they recognize that right now. I think when they become more mature and maybe when they go to college, maybe when they go in the professional workforce they'll have more of an appreciation for what, you know, and look, it's not all Nathan, it it is mom, you know, Allison as well. You know, we both work hard at this. And so I think they'll have more of an appreciation. (laughs) They hear our gripes, you know, (laughs) because just like anything, you come home from work or whatever and, "Ah," you know, so they know who some of these people are that, (laughs) you know, it's like, (laughs) no, you need to erase that from your memory. My hope is that they see that we're trying to make the most of this and we're certainly not, dad's not sitting around playing video games all the time. I play my share of video games with them because that's something I can do with them and and we can share together, but that's not all I do all day. So, (laughs) Well,
0: I think the video games are just as valuable as you being behind your desk, calling all of these other rare disease warriors in whatever capacity they are. I feel like they're both equally important
1: we were at an online retreat last week and they asked what hobby or skill you've, you've gotten better at over COVID. And it's like, well, my rocket league has (laughs) gotten much improved. You know, I've been working at that, but it's like, what an idiot! You know, I don't want to admit <laughs> that, but it, fortunately, it was anonymous. So now it's not anonymous. So everybody, you know, I'm a real dork. Uh,
0: pretty much everyone I've met so far in this space is super nerd. Super nerd.
1: <laughs> I think that's a key to success. <laughs> oh, I love that.
0: What is like the most valuable resource for you personally that you have discovered that you think would be valuable for another dad in your position?
1: I, uh, you know. I mean, you've had Adam on, um, you know, Adam and I are speaking monthly to each other. So it's just great to be able to, to speak with each other. I just think the rare disease community. So whether you're getting involved with Global Genes, you're getting involved with NORD, you're getting involved with Every Life Foundation. I mean, we've met so many awesome people through those organizations and those are You know, and I think putting yourself out there and and speaking, I mean, as you can tell through this podcast, I use too many ums and you knows. And so I'm not a really gifted presenter, but I put myself out there because it's that important to do not only for cure VCP disease, but to encourage others. And so I spoke at something last week and man, I've had lots of fun, neat conversations with rare disease advocates and that helps keep me going. Mm. I
0: couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, I I mean, Global Genes, the the advocacy summit, I mean, really changed my life. I I did not want to do this. I was not – I'm like, oh, man, you know, compassion and empathy is not one of my – I love languages. It's, you know, so, you know, hearing the tearful stories, it's like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> but when you have those conversations with people, it's like, you know what? These people are just like me. They're having challenges. 2018 Patient Advocacy Summit was my first time going, and it was a life changer. I, I, after coming out of that, I was like, All right, I have to do this. And I was really motivated, empowered, encouraged. And then my wife went with me to the 2019 summit in San Diego. And through all these things, you know, it's a lot of moms, it's a lot of women that that are, you know, leading the organizations. And so she's like, Oh, you're just meeting all these women and stuff. Well, we first (laughs) got there, we first got there, and she sits down on a bench outside and meets these other rare disease moms. They ask Allison, Well, why are you here? And and she's like, Well, you know, my husband has a a rare disease like, Are you Nathan's wife? And (laughs) oh And she just What? (laughs) What are you doing? Hey guys, if you wanna meet women and the lady, you know, if it had been like this in high school, I mean man, you know, <laughs> and I'm simply kidding. Only oh, kidding.
0: That's the best story ever. And really, I mean, back to the nerd topic, you guys are really dominating all areas, including the chicks. Really? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, my I'm married to one of the biggest nerds on the planet, so I'm going to put myself there. Yes, you guys are winning.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. That's encouraging. Uh, well, I hope, I
0: hope to meet you and Allison both uh, sometime in the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the challenge for the rare disease community right now is there's only so much Zoom you can do.
0: So, Nathan, what's next or is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with before we tie things up?
1: No, I mean, for the new people out there, I mean, you can do this. You know, there again, there is no right answer. And I think the danger is paralysis by analysis. You can't overthink this, Um, you know, and for the patients, just get involved. We need people that can do social media. We need people that we just need help, you know, because their burnout is real. I don't know. Nothing's going to happen unless you do it. It gets frustrating to me sometimes people praying for miracles.
0: I have an amen for that. Yes. Totally. And those are great ideas and tips, too. So thanks for mentioning them. You know, the gifts that you have might not be Nathan's, you know, background with, you know, being an engineer and going to MIT. Maybe it is your super skills on social media, because that's hard. That's hard for a lot of us. And that's time consuming. And there are other gifts that everyone has that can contribute to pushing things forward. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. I'm really happy to have connected with you, and I just think that you're so rad.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You're the only one, but um, certainly not my family, but uh, no, thank you for the opportunity. And, you know, I'm, if anybody wants to reach out, you know, curevcp.org or Nathan at curevcp.org. I mean, feel free to, to reach out. I'm happy to help. I, I actually get great pleasure and it's very therapeutic for me, you know, to help others. So.
0: Love that. Thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear,
1: o air's the